Well, I know now more acutely than ever that my sexuality does not belong to my partner no matter how much I love them. My sexuality will always be my own. You're listening to Out of Line with Caroline Lee, exploring offline realities with online personalities. Anjali Pinto is a photographer based in Chicago, Illinois, who focuses on editorial, commercial, and documentary projects. Anjali met her husband, Jacob, on Instagram in 2012, and in 2015, they were married. Jacob passed away suddenly on New Year's Eve 2016, and Anjali spent the year that followed vulnerably documenting her process and her grief, and powerfully posting on Instagram every day for a year to remember Jacob and all that he was. This was the first time I had ever gotten to speak with Anjali, and we recorded our Skype discussion on the role of sex in grief. I found out about you um, because so many people requested having you on um, as a guest, so I'm so grateful that you said yes, and and I'm really excited to meet you. Um, And yeah, I mean, just like sort of a a little brief story, because I I know only just a little bit about you through what I've experienced on social media, but um, hi and welcome. (laughs) Thank you. Thanks for having me. And Thanks to all the people who requested to hear more about me. Um, I live in Chicago. I work as a photographer. Um, I used to shoot solely for restaurants and hospitality, and food was a huge part of my life during that time. Um, I am a super, super social person, and everything that was like good and normal in my life got upended when my husband died suddenly in December of 2016. And we had been married for just a year and four months, um, and together for three years before we were married. Um, everything that we experienced as a couple seemed to happen very fast and be very easy. And we just clicked and we had this very intense and deep connection from the moment we got to know each other, um, which made his sudden death even more difficult to understand because he was so healthy and so vibrant and so young. He was 30 when he died, um, just a couple weeks before his 31st birthday. Um, and he died at home on New Year's Eve. And essentially my Instagram sort of took off in the wake of his death because I chose to memorialize him and share our story through photographs. And, um, I just wanted to make sure that his memory was kept alive and that it wasn't just, um, him being remembered as a man who died when he was 30, but rather the person he was and the great lover and husband and, friend. Um, so I had no intention of making that my professional calling. Um, it just kind of happened in taking time off and trying to focus on my own healing and, um, wrapping my head around my new reality. 
Yeah. I, I mean, I've only just started to look through some of your posts and, and it's, it seems like you've been so, so raw and so vulnerable in sharing what grief has been like for you, um, Mm -hmm. over the past year and a bit. Um, was that an intentional choice that you made to, to just let it all out on the, on your Instagram channel, like right away? Yeah, I had one friend um, that was also a photojournalist who lost her husband two years prior. And I remember thinking about her all the time and being so heartbroken for her and not knowing what to do from far away and going to her Facebook page and being like, is she traveling? Is she is she having fun? Is she okay? Um, and so for me, like when I started writing about what I was experiencing and what my day-to-day life looked like, it was more as a gift to the people who loved me to know what I was going through and try to be transparent about what felt good and what was hurtful. Um, and then it short, it sort of shifted as strangers started following along. I felt like maybe I'm the only person out there that's talking in real time about what it's like to experience such a tragic loss. And there seemed to be a lot of people who my experience resonated with. And it's not that I felt an obligation to them at all. I just felt like I was building a community that was helping to lift me up. And I wanted to try with diligence to do that for a year and see how it went. And that's what I did. Yeah. So I posted every day for a year. Wow. Was there ever anything during that year that you felt like you couldn't share, um, or didn't weren't ready to share, um, in the middle of your grieving process? I think, um, relationships with my in-laws have been both fantastic on one end and really hard on the other. And that was just something that I, as much as I knew other people have experienced that and probably would want to read about it, I didn't feel like it was appropriate to be totally forthcoming with that because it's a living person's life. You know, I don't want to shit talk anyone, Um, especially people who are hurting. And I think the source of any conflict was always that we're both in pain and we miss Jacob and it just, I just wanted to be respectful. Mm. And what about, what about now, now that the year mark has, has passed, are you going to continue with the practice? Are you, are you evolving into different spaces? Um, yeah, I mean, you feel free. I would love to even just hear about, I think this question might be too broad, but just like, what have you learned about grief in, in the past year? Um, to start with, I, I'm not writing daily publicly anymore. Um, Jacob's show, which was like a culmination of the project, um, was our birthday weekends, which is January 19th and the 22nd. Um, and so after that event happened, I felt like I could finally take a deep breath and try to just live for myself for a little while. Um, which I'm not particularly good at. I get a a lot of joy and energy out of helping other people and 
taking care of people. And so it's hard for me to just step back and figure out what I like and what I want and what makes me feel good. Um, but I think what I've learned about grief from my own experience and, and from meeting a lot of other people who have experienced similar losses, um, is that it sort of transforms who you are and how you view everything in your life. And, um, I just don't really sweat the small stuff as much, which is, um, in, in some ways it feels kind of like a superpower that I just don't, I mean, I got a flat tire and it was like, Oh, no big deal. Like I'll just go to Firestone, you know, whereas before it'd be like, this is such a shitty thing. Why did this happen to me? And it just seems like that is ridiculous, <laughs> you know? And then on the other hand, when big joyous celebrations come around and it always felt so easy to embrace the beauty of life and be thankful for what I have. It's like, I also have this like sword in my side about it because I wish he was here and I wish I didn't have to experience it alone. Um, so yeah, it's just, it's a complicated like swirl of, uh, appreciation and sorrow. Mm. Yeah. What, what is helpful for people to say to you and what isn't helpful? Mm. Um, what isn't helpful is comparing my dead husband to your dead dog. Um, happens all the time. (laughs) I think, I think people just think that's the most tragic thing that they've experienced. So they need to tell me about it. Um, or your grandparents or like a book you read or like, just death isn't a comparison. Like every person who dies, it's an individual story. And I just, I think what's most helpful is people who come with an open ear and are willing to hear stories about him or talk about him in a way that makes him a whole person, not just a trope. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, and what about if if someone if someone didn't know him and also doesn't want to minimize by comparing their own experience of grief with the dog or however <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know if they however however small or large their grief is um is there anything that people should say or can say that has supported you Um, people have been so wonderful. I want everyone to not come to a difficult conversation with so much fear. I think people are afraid to make me sad. Um, they're afraid to see me cry. And for me, it's like nothing that you're going to tell me is going to remind me of something that I haven't already thought of or is not always with me or on my mind. So sometimes the tears are just like a surge of recognition that someone else sees me and has listened to my experience, you know, and that's, it's a good thing. Mm. It's so interesting how, um, how tears are so, I think, avoided, um, Mm -hmm. or even just viewed as, 
something that might be like a negative or like a, Ooh, Oh no. I mean, I, I shoot a lot of, um, a, a lot of weddings or I used to shoot a lot. Now I only shoot like, you know, seven a year. Um, I do too many other things, but yeah. I find that even, even on a wedding day, people will be like, I don't want to cry. Don't, don't make me cry. And I'm like, crying is, it's, it's something welling up from deep inside of you. It's emotion. Like you're saying, like, it's you acknowledging that you're feeling seen and, and that there's something that's impacting you. Um, Mm -hmm. and I just, I think like the older that I've gotten, the more that I've just been like, what, like, let it, let it happen. Like, why, why do we yeah, go like, Oh no, good. Oh no. Get a Kleenex, get a Kleenex. <laughs> like, why does it turn into that? Why can't it just be, Oh wow. Something moved you. Something mm-hmm. moved me. Um, movement is like the beautiful stuff in life. Even if it's and hard. I, I also feel like the things that people assume will make me cry or like, be really meaningful to them in relation to Jacob's death. It's like, I'm glad that you're feeling that and you saw him in a dream or you found some sign of him in the world, but I have my own ways of seeing him. And that's usually what brings me to tears. And I can't like cry on command or emote for you because that's what you were feeling. Mm. Um, so I'm always really touched when people feel comfortable enough around me to share those stories and be open about what they've learned kind of secondhand from his death. Mm. Um, but yeah, I think I do surprise people when, when I'm just like stoic or even can smile in the face of other people's tears. Mm. Have there been things that you've, that you've sort of come across in your own in your own life and your own journey um, over the past year and a, and a few months um, that have made you wonder if this is going to be like a forever long phase of your life where you where you've thought will will life always look this way will I always feel this way or um, or almost like I'm I'm done with that and I want to evolve. Does, does that make sense? Like, have you ever, yeah. have you ever felt like, okay, now I want to be a different and new version of me. And how can I do that? Because I've, you know, put a certain story or a certain aspect of who I am out for, for the public eye. I think, um, while my story was getting notoriety or a following, I felt like it's strange to be known as like the saddest girl on the internet (laughs) because that's not really who I am or like who anyone who knows me well would see. Mm. But at the same time, I think in public and especially on social media, people are so afraid to be genuine about difficult and trying times. Um, and maybe only gloss over it as like it's national mental health day and I've struggled with depression. It's like, well, that's not really like the whole story. I want to know more. Um, I, I was fearful at some points that I would never be seen as like the joyous, bubbly dancing human being that I am. Um, and that my tragedy would define both me and Jacob Um, but I, those fears have pretty much subsided now. 
I think when I meet people who feel like they know me because I've put my story out on the internet and I don't know them, um, it's amazing to me how much they see and feel my joy mixed with my, you know, my grief. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, you, you have been so, so open about it. And, um, I think I, I can only project from my own experience, but sometimes meeting people who follow you, um, and they have this idea of who, of who you are and, and that you have, you know, so many angles or so many facets about who you are and what your personality is like. And then you're like, Hey, just so you know, the social media part is like a sliver of who I am. Um, Mm -hmm. and there's 37,000 other things about me. And that's actually why I started, I started these conversations because I think we as humans are so complex and there is Mm -hmm. so much to us and social media is one, one angle of a life. And it's, it's an angle that is often what we choose to put out. And so like, what else is there? And and what are we missing by minimizing someone to their feed or to what they say online? Mm -hmm. So what do you want people to know about you that they don't pick up from your feed? Um, well, my feed for the last year and a half has just been portraits of me and Jacob. So I kind of sometimes feel like a narcissist. Like I, I used these photos as a symbol to tell a story about our life. And I don't, I don't really care that much about you looking at my face. Like I, I would have put it out in letters and posted them in the mail. I don't know. Um, so yeah, I, I would like people to know that I do take pictures of other things besides, <laughs> besides my husband and me, <laughs> but <laughs> that, that'll come with time as I like rework my feed to, to go back to my life, my, my current life rather than a reflection of my former life. Mm. Um, but I think in general, it's, it's hard to be funny on Instagram, like, especially when you're talking about serious subjects. Um, I remember I made one post about, I was going to Zion national park. Um, and I flew into Vegas and I got like, the only thing that was available was an SUV. And the woman was like, um, are you going to drive this alone? Like, out in the desert. And I was like, I can do a lot fucking more than drive an SUV. Like you don't even know what I've survived this year. <laughs> like I am like cracking myself up, but I don't know <laughs> how to, how to like portray that over social media because people are just like, Oh, it's so sad that you have to do that by yourself. Yeah. You know, absolutely. It can only take so much away from that. Yeah. So you're not a narcissist and you're very funny. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Those things that don't sound, don't sound like they go well together. <laughs> oh, no, they sound, that's a perfect pairing. I love it. Okay. So what about, what about your, what about your personal life? Like what about, what about dating? Like how do you, how has that been? What have you thought about it? Have you done it? Have you like, what's, how do you navigate that space? And am I allowed to ask you these questions? Oh, yes. 
Please do. Um, well, I felt like a horrible person, like in February, six weeks after Jacob died, like all I could think about and talk about with my close friends was like, when will I have sex again? I had an amazing sex life with my husband. It was a huge part of like the way that we communicated with one another and felt close and like stayed in touch. And how does that just like evaporate from my life in an instant and who could possibly satisfy any of my needs or wants or desires. Um, and from basically February to May, I like thought about it and was so fucking lonely and didn't know how to act on it. I just felt like, okay, this is just a part of, of the experience of losing your partner, which no one else I know has been through. And I have no one to talk to about this really. Um, but I just became determined to figure it out. And I was like, I'm a problem solver. So I was just like, all right, I'm getting on the apps. And what, what is my, how much am I going to tell these people? Um, and my first thought was like, oh, it'll be easier to not do it at my house where we shared our life. I'll do it like when I'm on a vacation. So I like went to New York and signed up for Tinder and I was just like horrified by the prospects. Um, my bio was like, uh, my husband was the best thing ever. Maybe you're fun too. And like, I think people assumed that I was divorced. Uh huh. Um, so then I was like, Oh, this is wrong. And I was like, okay new member of hot young widows club and then some guy was like yeah that is a thing whoa hot young widows club yeah um we can get into that she's awesome Nora McInerney founded it um but one guy was like I mean did you kill your husband because you're so drop dead gorgeous and I was like oh no this is not this is not gonna go well oh my gosh and then I was like okay I guess I'll just meet up with someone that I find physically attractive and um I'll go home with them and I went to this bar in New York I was afraid to have someone I didn't know at an Airbnb where I didn't know my neighbors. I didn't know like what if I am uncomfortable and how do I get out of it? Um, so it's like, I'll meet this guy at a bar and then go to his house. I met him at the bar and we're like making small talk and he was perfectly like polite and acknowledged my experience and was like, I really admire you for putting yourself out there in the face of your reality. Um, but then he started talking about cooking and it was just like, (laughs) like, I cannot sleep with you. That's that. No, I, I cannot sleep with a man who mixes corned beef and carrots and teriyaki sauce. I don't know what he was talking about, but whatever he was describing that he makes for himself was turning my stomach. (laughs) And I was like, I'm sorry, I'm going to have to go. (laughs) He's like, what? He thought I, he was, like, entitled to sex because I met up with him. Oh. And I was just like, it's not, it's, I'm not feeling it. I'm sorry. Um, and so then when I went home from that trip, I was like, I got to try a different approach. Like, 
the last thing I really want is to get to know these people. I just need a physical need met and I need to know that you're like safe and respectful, that you know how to please a woman, that you are available when I'm available and that you won't bother me after we hook up. So that's, that was like my second tier approach. And was that something that you made, did you make your criteria known to the corned beef hash guy? No, I was just like, you're done. Never mind. You're disqualified. <laughs> you lost the game. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's incredible. But yeah, once I like got home and like got over the idea of having someone else in my bed that wasn't my husband, it became easier because I was like, I'm in control. This is my environment. Um, I can set the parameters. I can see them out. I don't have to like go to a bar and convince someone that I'm worthwhile. I know everything that I offer as an individual and as a sexual partner. And I don't really need to entertain their expectations of women or whatever. So, um, yeah, for a while that was just what I did. Like it was like a hobby, you know, and it occupied my time. And sometimes it's hard to be around a lot of our friends, are married couples and their lives are continuing to develop and go on. And it's like, now I'm the odd man out at the table. Um, and I don't have the same experiences as my other single friends who are looking for their first real love or someone to share their life with. Um, I'm just in like this different camp where I know what it is like to be in a successful relationship And that's not what I need right now from anyone else, but I still have needs and wants that need to be met and I'll figure out a different way to satisfy them. Wow. Yeah. So what do you remember the first, the first (laughs) hookup after? Oh yes. Everything. It was like, uh, yeah, it, it was like a guy who worked at a hotel and he came over and he was, he was like wearing a suit And I felt like, I mean, this is basically like hiring a service. Like, I mean, he knows what exactly he's here for. And it was fantastic. I mean, like, I wasn't, I didn't care about him, to be truthful. I just, we used each other and it was like very freeing. Um... And I left the house that day and I swear to God, I was like, this is what Beyonce feels like every time she leaves her house. (laughs) I was like walking through my alley and the sun was on me and my hair was blowing in the wind. And I was like, yes, my body works. (laughs) Oh my gosh. That's so incredible. So, so it was, was it emotional? What did it, did it, did you feel any specific things either before or after or during like, you know, and did you talk to him at all about your story or your process or were you literally just like, here's the deal in With and that out particular person? Leave. It was just, it was just like transactional. Um, but there have definitely been times when I get emotional out of nowhere with people that I'm not dating and I'm not close with, you know, and a lot of times it's prompted by like hearing their heartbeat or feeling their heartbeat because Jacob died of an aortic dissection and the metaphorical heart mixed with the physical heart is just a lot to think about sometimes that 
like I would be with the person I want to be with right now if if they had a beating heart mm. and that's like what I'm taking from you you know and that's what you offer me is that you're alive and that's the sexiest thing about you did you find that you had favorite people that you that you returned to for transactions or was it was it <laughs> one and done always no so um there have been a few repeats but the most entertaining and long lasting is a guy who's in an open relationship and lives with his girlfriend and they have three dogs and two cars and share their life and like everything's set for their personal life and what I offer to him is like a open mind and sexual exploration and partnership that's very much based in mutual respect and taking and giving pleasure, um, which is a kind of relationship that I have never had before, um, where it's not like I rely on this person for any of my personal entertainment or, um, companionship or, you know, we've never been on a date in public. Um, and he's made me feel so good at points that I'm just like break down in tears because I'm like, why did my husband have to die for me to experience this? It doesn't seem fair. Um, but in a way I kind of viewed, um, this portion of my life as like some people set out to finish a bucket list or start a bucket list after a tragic loss. And for me, it's like, well, there's been a lot of things that I've wanted to explore um, that I never really felt I needed within my marriage, um, like polyamory and open relationships, um, that I can now learn more about and have a better understanding of firsthand um, without the risk of emasculating my partner or making him feel like he doesn't satisfy my every need. Mm. So do you, would you say that you have started to see polyamory and open relationships as, um, something that's doable or even something that would have value to you? It is, it, it, I go back and forth because it's like, well, I know now more acutely than ever that, my sexuality does not belong to my partner, no matter how much I love them. My sexuality will always be my own. And I truly can't rely on someone to always be there for me, even if they promise to, and even if they intend to, because we all die and we don't know when we're, when we're going to die. Um, I still think that I'm very good at being in a monogamous, monogamous relationship and the security of that bring, brought me a lot of happiness um, and it was uncomplicated, but at the same time, if I met someone who also felt that an open relationship would lead them to being a more fulfilled or whole version of themselves, I would definitely be open to discussing the parameters of it and figuring out something that worked for everyone. Yeah. I'm very intrigued and interested, um, about how they work. And, um, I actually, I, I have 
some friends that are in an open marriage and I'm, I'm trying to get them to come on the podcast and talk about it because I think it is something that is so taboo and Mm -hmm. yet it, it goes on a lot. Um, but if people aren't talking about it, then how can we learn? And if people are keeping it taboo or if they're just like, Oh, I could never, um, I'm too jealous. Yeah. (laughs) That's like the number one thing. Yeah. I just, I think like, well, let's talk about it. Let's talk about it. Let's learn from each other. I think it's fascinating. So the part of it to me that I can't really truly wrap my head around is like the logistic aspect of it. In my case with this partner that I mentioned, he and his girlfriend work different schedules. So it makes sense that they have like their independent time and their life outside of each other and their relationships. But when I was with Jacob, like, I would be waiting for him to come home. Like, I was excited to see him every day. And at 7, if he wasn't back yet, I'd be like, where are you? (laughs) I just want to spend these five hours we have before we have to go to bed together, you know? So I can't imagine, like, being fully in love and committed to someone and also being like, peace out. Like, I'm going on a date with someone else. Yeah. Yeah, Um, But maybe that would have come with more time, like, if in a lot of ways we were still in our like honeymoon phase. Like there was no, there was no time for boredom. We had so much to do and experience together. Did you ever have any bad hookups or any bad experiences uh, with your, with <laughs> your, yes. Just yes, your sound. Uh. <laughs> yes. Um, Well, one guy came over and I had made it pretty clear what we were going to do. Um, And his bio said that he went to Stanford (laughs) and he couldn't find my apartment. I was like, okay, if you got a degree from Stanford, I'm pretty sure you should be able to use a map. (laughs) Like my apartment is not a difficult thing to find. Just, I live in, I live in a building. It's clearly marked. So that was like, what is wrong with you? Like, are you nervous? Is that why you got lost? Like he was like a mile away from my house. I was just like, um, okay. Strike one, strike two. He just like, we had no, uh, intellectual chemistry and he was slightly less attractive in person than his photos, which I'm honestly like the spectrum is very wide for me. I'm attracted to men and women, old and young and short tall, fat, skinny. I don't care. Like if you're confident, that's most important to me. And he was just kind of avoidant to make a move or be flirtatious. And I was like, uh, time's a chicken. When are we going to get this started? Like I'm, I'm as more minutes pass, the less likely I am to even like visualize myself kissing you. Like at this point, I'm just kind of repulsed. I was like, time to go. I was like hesitant to just kick him out. Um, But then I was like, I I don't think I can do it. So he like went to the bathroom and was in there for quite a while. And I was like, what is he doing in there? I don't want to know. And he came out and I was like, I told you, um, you know, I had something going on at six I'm meeting friends and you were half an hour late and now we've talked for half an hour and 
I'm just going to tell you, it takes me longer than that to be satisfied. So I'm going to have to ask you to leave. <laughs> and he was like shell shocked. He was just like, well, I find you very attractive. I was like, okay, good compliment. Um, it's not going to happen. I'm really sorry if I hurt your feelings. Like it's just, he's like, well, what, what do you do with the other people you bring over? You just, you just bring them into your apartment and, and sleep with them right away. And I was like, yeah, that's what you agreed to. Like that's, what 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 changed? I don't understand. <laughs> oh my gosh! Did you? I mean, do you call? Would you call it? Would you call it like grief sex? Is that a thing? <laughs> I totally think it's it's like bereavement bereavement hookups. Bereavement I don't know. Bereavement hookups. Is that yeah, the, is that grief the, sex is the better. It's more catchy. Is that the name of this episode? <laughs> yes, please. I think it's, like, anyone who I've told, like, any small piece about, it's, like, fascinating, right? Yeah. Because who else in your life do you know that's experiencing this? Yeah. Um, It's not, again, it's something that people don't talk about. And I think it is that thing of, like, when you lose someone who is so close to you and when you weren't in, it's not like you were in an open marriage where it was just, like, oh, well, I'm used to being with other people, like, you're with one person and they're your everything. And then all of a sudden, what's it like to move on? And like, how do you tell other people that you've moved on? And what was that like for you? Did you, while you were in the middle of the, the grief sex, uh, you know, escapades. escapades. <laughs> ah, I love that. We both got to say, um, did you tell people? Um, I had a couple of friends who I, I chronicled my adventures with. Um, I definitely I texted my sister like, "It finally happened!" You know, like the the day that it happened, I was like, ah, "Your Beyonce it day finally happened." Yeah, yeah. And she was like, "Tell me everything," and I was like, "No, I can't. I'm sorry. I I feel like I don't need my family to know like detail by detail how big of a slut I can be." So I kept that to myself, <laughs> but like a couple of friends, you know, they're in on it. Yeah. They get it. Um, so talk to me about, about the con this concept of being a slut. Um, and what's your, t- I mean, <laughs> you, you just said how big of a slut you can be. So I'm not saying you are, I'm saying what is your perception of how the world views? Like, let's say the world views what you are powerfully choosing to do there's at, and you're like, you're saying you're at the beginning, you're being very honest communication about what this is, what this isn't, what you need, who you are. Like everything is honest. Everything is straightforward. Everything is clear, concise. You are choosing powerfully. There's consent on both sides. Um, so what is your take on, people who might say that that is being slutty or um, even viewing yourself in that sort of situation. Do you have thoughts on that? I kind of uh, reclaim the term as a positive to me. I think it's, I think it's funny if someone were to think what I'm doing could somehow be harmful. One of the few measurable things that makes me feel better. And it's like, 
it's not like I'm using sex to fix my pain. It's just that the physical reaction to experiencing pleasure actually makes my mental health better. You know, I can feel the endorphins. I can feel the dopamine. It's like, I, I truly feel better and I'm not looking for anything else from people in regards to, um, my physical beauty or my intelligence or my capabilities as a woman or anything else that I also got from Jacob, you know, that made me feel like whole, um, deserving person. Like he left all of those feelings with me, even though he's no longer here to reiterate them. And I think that the confidence that I felt in our relationship has benefited many, many men since his death. And yeah, I just, anyone who wants to cast judgment, please call me when you experience this yourself and tell me how you think it's appropriate to cope. That's really, really, really powerful. I'm really, I'm really taken by, by your experience and, um, and your honesty. I mean, even to know that that's what you wanted or needed, Mm -hmm. um, I, I'm really, I'm really speechless just in the fact that you're like, I need this. Like I'm in, I'm in the most intense grief a person can feel. And this is what I need. It just felt like my, there, as much as like my friends and my family and people who love me filled my need for like a listening ear and company at meals and, someone to run an errand or, um, go to the corner with me or all of these things that like you don't want to do alone. No one in my life could fill my physical needs just to be held in and of itself was completely lost. And I, I, I'm such a physical person and like my morning routine with Jacob was he would make me coffee and I would wake up like all groggy. He always woke up in such a good mood and I would just hold him for like a minute or two before he left for work, you know? And for a while I didn't even make coffee at my house because it was like the coffee is just a reminder of the hug that I don't get, you know? And for anyone who thinks that, you should or shouldn't find comfort in casual sex. It's, it's kind of just like, I didn't think that I had any other option. I couldn't find another way to fill those needs. So was grief sex a phase or is, is it still a phase? Did you find that you got what you needed and then it was over or is it something that is still a process for you? I think it's still, it's still happening, but with less intensity after the anniversary, um, something in my brain clicked in regards to allowing people to get to know me. Um, I had just a really big wall up about, um, going on dates in general, like the fact that 
the two or three dates that I went on in Chicago, I was like, I ran into people I knew and I'm on a date with someone that I barely know. And I was on a first date and (laughs) this other photographer came up to me and was like, Oh my God, I haven't seen you since Jacob died. I'm so sorry. And I can't imagine what you're going through. And like all of your posts have been so meaningful. And my first date just like looks at me like awkward as fuck. (laughs) Um, And I don't want to have to explain myself to someone that I'm, it just feels like I have to like separate my life before with who I am now. And it's, it's hard and complicated and I didn't want to be out in public having to flirt or not flirt and be seen in general. Um, I feel like now that I have written about it a little bit and I'm more open about it, it doesn't feel as scary to do that in public. Um, but I, I was just very guarded about my personal time. Um, and now I'm like, okay, it could be fun to get to know someone and be excited about who they are first rather than just like the physical connection. Mm. And are most of the people that you, that you date either on, on in grief sex capacity or in first date capacity, are they still apps? Yeah. I don't know how to meet people otherwise. Like, um, no one's offered to set me up. Uh, I'm very like, I picked up a guy at the eyeglass store. Like I'm very open about who I'm attracted to and I'll hit on anyone and not in a creepy way, but just like in a, I mean, the guy at the eyeglass store was cute and helpful. And I was like, Hey, are you single? And he's like, yeah, I was like, let's go out. He's like, okay. And then I was like a thousand times too much for this guy. (laughs) He was like, yeah, he was not feeling it, which is totally fine. But I, I don't know. I mean, I think there's no less or more worthy way to meet someone. It's more about the connection and the capacity to be open. So I don't really hold any judgments about how I meet them. Were you as brave and as sort of willing to be, to kind of like, you know, like you were saying, you, you just were like, Hey, are you single? Were you that brave before Jacob died? Uh, I don't think so. I met Jacob when I was 23. Um, and we met through Instagram and we kind of flirted before there were DMS and just like getting to know each other through photography. Um, but like once I have someone in person, I'm very, I take the lead. Like it's, you don't have to wonder how I feel about you. You don't have to wonder if I'm interested. Like there are no games to be played. It's just, this is what I want. And this is what I think we could be together. And isn't that fun? Um, so I, I don't know that's been there for a while, but, um, the fearlessness is definitely in light of realizing that I could die at any moment and I should probably just live. <laughs> so it's very inspiring. Um, it really is. I am really, uh, I'm really impressed with just the way that you're, that you're so in process and you're, you're, I think 
there's, there can be a tendency to kind of like, oh, I don't want to make a mistake or I don't want to, mm-hmm. like, I'm in the middle of something that I, and it's weird and I don't, and I don't know how to navigate it. So I'll just kind of close off or like hold back or be really cautious. And the fact that you're just like, I'm in process and I am really in process, like all <laughs> out, like balls to the walls in process. Um, it's, I'm really inspired. Um, Thank you. Yeah. I don't know if, um, you know, I, especially at the beginning, I would think so much about if the roles had been reversed and Jacob survived me, what would he be doing and who would he be seeing and who would, you know, comfort him. I don't know why that is like such a focus, but I think a lot of other widows have experienced that too. Um, where it's, you feel like, you know, someone so well, but then there's this whole aspect of life that you never discussed and you never wanted to talk about because imagining it is so painful. Um, but I'm pretty sure that if Jacob was single, women would be lighting up to offer themselves as a girlfriend (laughs) and men are just not that way. I've found Mm. like I have met very few men who are looking for a relationship. Um, and if they are, they're just not that interesting. (laughs) Mm. Mm. Have you found that any, any of your grief sex partners, um, wanted to wanted more like after you know when you're you're having hookup sex and then you're like okay go and they're like but I really like you and like can't we or are have you found that men are just totally happy to hook up and go I think probably if there had been any people that were interested in me they didn't pursue it or talk about it because I had already made it clear that I wasn't Um, and I'm sure that is an easy reason to be insecure about showing me your feelings. Um, but recently I've been on a few dates with a guy who seems really sweet and I'm open to whatever happens between us. I like, we have intellectual chemistry. Um, but I was also just honest with him about like, I don't really think I'm ready to like give myself to someone fully and I'm kind of seeing other people still, but I really enjoy your company and I just, I don't want to hurt you inadvertently. Um, so just like ask me any question that comes to mind. I'm happy to answer it honestly. So let's say someone's listening and they're like, okay, how do I, how do I do what she's doing? How do I powerfully consensually create sex where I can be in power, where I'm empowered, where I'm not, um, putting myself in a dangerous situation where I'm being really clear with my communication, where I'm being really clear with my intentions. Um, how do you do that? Well, what, what advice would you have? Um, I think like talking over text or phone calls before you meet up is important at least in my experience, um, when you're in person, you feel a lot of, um, pressure to make sure that the other person is having a good time, especially for women. I think we take on 
the discomfort of men as our personal responsibility inadvertently. Um, and that's why I try to talk about the less pleasant things just straight off the bat over text. Like I will not sleep with you without a condom. Do not try putting your fingers in any orifice. I did not specifically give you permission to use. <laughs> like, I'm not into that. Thank you. Um, and no one has been like, Oh, that's, that's too forward. Or everyone has been like, thanks for letting me know. And then I totally understand. Um, but I don't really know how to coach women to know what they want and what they're comfortable with. If for so long, they've been made to feel like their desires or their pleasure is not the priority in sex. Um, that takes a special kind of partner to unravel in a person, I think. Um, and I guess I would just encourage people to seek out mutual pleasure and appreciation of a person's body, um, regardless of what your future with that person is like, an hour or two of getting to know someone intimately can be as rewarding as several weeks of dating. I know <laughs> I've experienced it. So yeah, I was just talking to some girlfriends about it last night and I was trying to explain that with the guy that I've been seeing, you know, we just see each other once every two weeks or so. Um, but being unafraid to talk about my fantasies or desires with this person has made me realize that there were a lot of things that I wouldn't have ever explored with Jacob because we had become so comfortable in our routine um, that suddenly bringing up like toys or positions or public sex or incorporating a third would have felt like I'm not satisfied by what we have. Um, so I guess my looking back, I was just like, I hope that moving forward, I can always be communicative about my interests and fantasies as just a topic of conversation in knowing someone who is constantly evolving next to you, you know, very personal question. Were, were you clear or are you clear with people about, um, you know, like I want, I want to orgasm or were you just sort of like, it's cool if I don't, you know? Um, I kind of test guys by asking them either like, please tell me in detail, um, a time where you brought a woman to orgasm or like recount for me a memorable sexual experience. And I think that, um, it's fun to see what they bring to the table in that regard of like what they pay attention to, what they enjoy about pleasing a woman, um, and maybe certain things that they're interested in doing. Um, but a lot of guys just kind of shut down at that, at that point where it's like, Oh, if you're measuring me against how much pleasure I can bring you that intimidates me or makes me feel insecure and I'm not interested in this going anywhere which is like an easy, like elimination round. 
Um, it's like, okay, bye. <laughs> but, but yeah, I mean, I intend to orgasm. That's the point for me. And if you can't, like, that's fine. And I'll take care of it myself and you can be there to witness it. But it's going to happen, whether it's on your account or mine. That's amazing. <laughs> that's really amazing. Thank you for going there. <laughs> I love it. That's what we're here for. Let's get it done. I mean, come on. I'm, I'm so... I'm so all about just like, tell it how it is. Why do we, why do we do this whole, like, not talk about it or like dance around the issue or like pretend that we're not sure. It's like, just be like, Hey, this is what I need. This is what I want. This is what you're going to get. Great. Boom, 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 done. Literal boom, 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 done. But I do feel like all of that is so much easier when you're not invested in building a relationship with the person because if I truly cared about that person's feelings and security, it would, I would deliver all of that information much softer. Absolutely. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So that is like the advantage of it being more transactional. Um, but I definitely think that like the person I meet and end up with will understand that that is something that I had to explore and probably maybe, is making me a better partner. Um, but it's not sustainable forever. (laughs) Like I can't be a bossy bitch for eternity. (laughs) I don't know why not. (laughs) Sometimes it feels good to be taken care of without having to bark orders, you know? Mm. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I guess that's where like the, the building a relationship with one person means that they can then know you know what you like. Um, and it sounds like you, uh, you have that kind of a little bit with one person where there is, you're building on something, um, so that it's not just like, it's not starting over from scratch every single time. Yes. And that is something I really feel thankful for, but truthfully, when the time comes that I have to give it up, it won't even be a contest because an emotional connection with someone and the security of knowing that that person has your back is so much greater than an orgasm. So. (sighs) Wow. That's, that's a good, it's a good one. Um, is there anything else you want to, to say on this topic before we move into a little Q and a no go for it I'm ready okay um that was that was like so rad by the way I love Thanks. I love that so much <laughs> I mean like yeah thank I you hope, so much. I hope there's some women listening that are like oh shit I, I mean straight up ask a man that I think that it will be and that's honestly I think it's so important to be having these conversations more more openly now like what 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 taboo like what I don't I don't subscribe to that I don't I'm not buying into shame I'm not buying into body shame or sexuality shame or like no bye that's that's over so I'm all I'm all about um and if you don't agree like if someone listens to this and they're like wow I could never do that or like wow I don't like what she did great (laughs) 
that's also fine. <laughs> like, like it's not your body and yeah. you don't have to experience it if you don't want to. Well, exactly. I just think, I just think that, um, you know, like I've, I've traveled a lot in around the world and experienced how different people are and it makes, you know, everyone, every culture is different. Every, even states are different. And so to me, when people act like there's one, one right way to do things, I'm like, well, there's one right way to do things for you today. Yeah. But even then you are an evolving person and five years from now, you might look back and be like, what was I thinking? But in this moment, this is what's, this is what works for you. And I just think that the minute that we have more space to listen to each other and to um, be like, wow, you've got a point there. Or like, wow, I learned so much from what you shared about that in your experience. Um, the more we're in it together instead of like all on our own separate teams. Yeah. Just my thought. Absolutely. And I think um, the reason I want to talk about this more publicly is because all of the other widows that I have to look up to will have these conversations candidly one-on-one. But in memoirs, it never comes up. Like, it, it it's just still seen as something too private and too painful to discuss. But for me, it's been like, if you met me and you saw how happy I was this summer, there's a reason. Like, <laughs> and I don't think it should have to be a secret. <laughs> Stick around for part two of this discussion to hear a Q&A with Anjali Pinto about her social media practices. This episode of Out of Line was produced by me, Caroline. All sound editing, engineering, and original music composition by Jaden Lee. And a big thank you to Cat Footwear for working with Out of Line this season. Hit subscribe to get the next episode on your mobile device when it drops next week. And if you love what you heard, please whip out a review, will ya?